For those of you who are interested in starting to swim, bike, and run and get into the sport of triathlon, go to my website, check out the book, Triathlon for the Every Woman. It doesn't actually have to be just for women. It is geared toward women, but uh, the book is available for free, 100% second edition for download on your favorite e-reader. So go to swimbikemom.com forward slash free book. Today's guest is the amazing Nicole DeBoom, founder of Skirt Sports and also Run This World podcast. Nicole and I connected, I don't even know when at this point, but a couple years ago now. And I would have to say that we're like complete besties and twinsies from a lost life, except she's like the much, much faster endurance type twinsy, and I'm just not. But she's a lot of fun and she has a discount code for you guys. Listeners of this podcast get 15% off at skirtsports.com with the code SAME24SKIRT. Isn't that cute? I think so. Hope you all enjoy this episode with Nicole DeBoom. Welcome to the Same 24 Hours Podcast with Meredith Atwood. We all have the same 24 hours each day, and it's what we do with those hours that makes all the difference between our health, happiness, and success. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Same 24 Hours podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Atwood. Today's guest is the incredible Nicole DeBoom. Hello, lady. Hello back, lady. I'm so <laughs> excited to finally hit your podcast. I know. This is awesome. I know. And it's fun to turn the mic around because I know you talk to people kind of like I talk to people. And then when we get to talk about ourselves, it's kind of fun. <laughs> yeah. Come on. It's all about me. It's all about you today, Nicole. <laughs> Turning the mic around. Uh, it's cool. This is great timing for me because, you know, Meredith, we live in these crazy busy worlds. We're just like jumping from one thing to the next. And we don't often give ourselves a break to look at life in a different way, in a bigger way, and to gain understandings about like, things that have happened to us. And, and I'm just back from a trip that I took to Costa Rica where it gave me that opportunity. So Ooh. it's really cool. <laughs> okay. So tell more. You're, you sound very calm. You sound like you've been doing some meditating. <laughs> Actually, that's on my like kind of wish list for the future. I used to think meditation. I was like, why would anyone want to slow down their life that much? I mean, I can't even slow down to do yoga. Why would I meditate? <laughs> but um, but I can see it looming. Uh, yeah. It, but you're right. I mean, there's definitely a little bit of a calm and a peace right now. And I've, I've also got my sexy voice on for you because I've been sick. You do. This I was going to say that. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's just for you, Mary. That's right. I knew it was. You were like, let's record the podcast now, right now. <laughs> for my reputation. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I took a trip. Um, I did something just for me. Um, and decided a couple months ago that I would do a women's retreat. And this is like, you know, this was a big step for me because retreats aren't those like these touchy feely things where everyone's like, let's let your feelings out and, you know, all that stuff. And, um, but this one called to me. Uh, it's the Women's Quest Surf and Yoga Retreat in Costa Rica. I oh mean, who goodness. wouldn't want to? Who wouldn't want to do that, right? Well, I don't really surf and I suck at yoga, so tell me more. <laughs> well, that's just the thing. Like, I would say years ago, the yoga part would have turned me off more than the surfing part. Right. To that whole point of like having trouble slowing down a busy life. But I've never surfed. I never surfed either. But what's really funny is I always, since I was like a kid, thought of myself as like a surfer girl. <laughs> Never it surfed. was the Beach Boys song, I bet. You played it all the time. I don't know what it was. Maybe, it, you know, and the closest I ever got was becoming a swimmer girl in Chicago because there were no waves. Right. So it's, it, you know, in my life, I always thought someday I would learn how to surf. And here I am, like, my mid-40s. And when is a good time to freaking learn new sports that are kind of scary and intimidating? And that have, like... 
Yeah, mid-40s. You know, the things that sort of like attach themselves to your heart and you know they're in there. And if you die before you do them, it's like a travesty, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. So, so yeah, something about this retreat, it was like, I think it's time, Nicole. You gotta, <laughs> you gotta take some action here. Okay. So you went and. Yeah. So I, uh, I went down to Costa Rica. I recruited some people. I, I decided to go ahead and incorporate a little bit of work. So since I was going to be in this beautiful tropical environment, I decided we should do a photo shoot down there because mm-hmm. duh, okay. whoa, it's not spring in Boulder right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, I, the thing that really pull, like really helped me pull the trigger is the woman who puts on these retreats. Her name is Colleen Cannon. You need to have her on your podcast. She's amazing. Okay. Um, she's a former legend in the sport of triathlon. Like she was a world champ in the eighties and she's just someone who understands the power of like listening to your spirit and, and reading signs. And she believes in fairies. I mean, she's like freaking awesome. She's almost 60 and she's like, I, you know, I think I'm stuck at six because all I really want to do is play every day. So, and I trust her and I understand her crazy, awesome energy. And I thought if I'm going to go on a retreat with a bunch of women, I don't really know and trust, um, this is going to be the one. So yeah. So how so many we women down, were there? There were, I think about 15 women in our okay. group and they ranged from early thirties to early sixties learning mm. how to surf. No one had surfed. And uh, the surf part was really cool. It was exhausting. Like as a endurance athlete, you kind of be like, well, it's a surf and yoga retreat. So I better fit in some time for like running, right? <laughs> right. Like, like, no, you were fried. Every day was just, there was so much going on. There was no time for that stuff. And that wasn't the point. So I'm glad it turned out that way. But the surfing part was amazing. We had uh, we surfed four days. It was a one-week retreat. We surfed four days, two on, one off, two on. And everybody was up on the first day. And when you learn how to surf, like this is a whole culture, right? That's part of what's intimidating about sports. Like don't you imagine being like, I got to go get out in the lineup with the locals and they're going to like <laughs> beat me up, you know? Like I, there's like etiquette and everything. Yeah. But uh, what's really cool is they immediately put you, like pair you with these really hot, really awesome surf instructors (laughs) (laughs) who are used to putting 30 to 60-year-old women to work and uh, stretching their bodies and minds. So yeah, they just, they take you through the paces. It's like one step at a time, exactly when you need the next level, they give it to you. Wow. These guys, they're just amazing what they do. So yeah, we were up on boards from the beginning and every day you learned a few extra skills. And I was so fortunate because me and one other woman, um, her name's Sandra, we were sort of advanced enough and strong enough swimmers that on the very last day they said, we're taking you out to a different wave. They're called green waves. So if you imagine a wave I think there's like blue waves too. I don't even know about that. That's like pipeline and the you know the big stuff. You get towed in. But like green waves are just the little bigger waves when they actually break and so they look green, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. And what yeah. you learn on, you learn on white water, like white waves. They've already broken and so you're just sort of jumping up on the kind of white water as it comes in. Got but it. We, we got to go surf the green waves and Right, where it's like all curly. The way yeah. curly. <laughs> it was like there was a curl in like one or two that I got on. Oh, that's cool. It was so cool. Oh my God. I keep replaying these videos. It was like just magic. It's just magic when so you how, realize. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. When you just realize like, A, you're doing it. Like I have this on a piece of paper. It says learn to surf. And I'm looking at it right now and I did it. Like you're doing it, you're standing up there, you're doing it, you're in the moment. And it's like mountain biking or trail running. You have to be in that moment. You can't be like, well, what's on my to-do list? And like, you have to literally just be in it. And I think that's what I'm learning is part of the draw to that special sport. It's like, it's really spiritual. There's a lot of trust and letting go and giving in. 
all at once. Things that we type A women love to do. We, we love to let go and relax. Right, and we, lo- we love to not control things. Right. <laughs> like perfect. try to control a wave. Go for it. <laughs> Give it a try. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I can see how this whole week was like just one giant exercise and letting go because yoga is the same thing. Oh, my God. You're so right. I it mean, was breathe. That's all you're allowed to do in yoga. That's all you can control. Oh my gosh. And when you don't, you're just like, you're not doing it. Right. It's, um, yeah, you know, I went on the retreat, not feeling like I like a lot of people do retreats because they're at some kind of crisis or crossroads and they really need it. And I was like, well, I don't really have that. Like my marriage is okay. And you know, we're in a groove and business is great. And they're, I didn't feel like I had something to heal or to make decisions about, but yet while I was there, I felt like I was healing. It was like, I, it's what I kind of term it as. It's what I didn't know I needed. Yeah. And I think, you know what I think too is, I mean, you are a mom and a wife and a business owner and all these things. And I get that same feeling just when I go out of town. (laughs) By myself. I mean, for example, I went to Minnesota. No, I didn't go to Minnesota. I went to Montana <laughs> last weekend. And very different. Very different. <laughs> Although I really suck at geography and in my mind, they were neighbors. You know, they were right <laughs> along with Canada. Like I asked people who my Canadian friends, I was like, are you coming to Montana? And they're like, Meredith, it's like a whole another country, like, literally. <laughs> Oh, right, right. Oh, my God, Um, I love it. But, you know, I was just going to Montana for Friday to Sunday to do this triathlon clinic and hang out, and it was really a quick turnaround. But just getting there and and there being snow on the ground and just walking around by myself, I was like, I didn't realize how much I needed this. Just time. (laughs) Quiet. I mean, I think you're right. You know, you, we, we share a lot of, um, maybe traits and some experiences too. And we surround ourselves by people and energy all the time. I mean, look at your podcast and my podcast too. And, and just by nature, the business you've created and, um, taking that time for you, it's really important. And what's funny is I tell people that all the time. And I know you do too. Mm -hmm. Take care of yourself, take time for you and then look Turn it around. Look at yourself. When do we do that? And it doesn't really take much because like this past weekend, I only spent maybe three hours by myself. And then when I was sleeping, the rest were were with the race director and and groups of women and so much fun. But those three hours on that front, the front end of the trip, I mean, then coupled with the energy from everyone else that we feed on, it was wonderful, but it doesn't take much. No, you're right. It doesn't. And that's a reminder to people and maybe why we should all start meditating. Oh, no, don't start. <laughs> Not you too. <laughs> we can, you can do a one minute a day meditation. I'm learning about this. It's funny. I, know, I haven't started I yet. I am well, too. Well, you know what? Let's no. uh, we'll have to Skype each other the first <laughs> no. time we meditate. It'll be like, you know, quiet. We'll do it together. <laughs> and I'll go, are you still there? And you'll go, yeah, let's talk about what we're eating for dinner. That'll be like the worst podcast we've ever done. Right. <laughs> Sounds perfect. One stars all around. Haters so, come in. You know, what were you doing in uh, Montana? You were at a race? Well, there's a, the Montana Women's Triathlon is like a big deal up there. And I love the race director. We met at St. Anthony's tri- Triathlon in St. Petersburg last year. And she came up to my tent. And she's like, what is this? <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? What is this? And we joked about it um, this past weekend because she was, she walked into my tent, knew it was like swim bike mom and knew there was this clothing and stuff. And so we always laugh that that's how we met just out of sheer confusion. But anyway, she, she's a race director for this women's (laughs) triathlon. And she told me in Florida, she said, you should come to Montana. We have a huge triathlon there and you should do a clinic. And I was like, awesome. Count me in. Well, in December, she emails me and she's like, hey, you want to come to Montana in February? And I thought, sure. And then everyone started laughing at me because it's zero <laughs> and negative in Montana. And I have a windbreaker. I live in Georgia. And so it became this whole thing. But it, it was perfect. It was so much fun. And obviously the clinic was indoors. But um, yeah, it was a women's weekend. But not surfing think- and turfing. <laughs> yeah, but 
there's so much, I mean, Hey, when you create a career where you get to do the things that a build on your strengths and that feed your soul, like, hello, yeah, everyone wants to sign up for that. In fact, I think I know her. What's her name? Ann Gilbert. Mm, She's great. a legend. Yeah. This so awesome. She's amazing. amazing. Like we had this conversation at dinner and it went something like, um, so I started the sport of triathlon as a swimmer and eight months later I, I qualified for Kona and, and I was like, what, <laughs> what, you know, she's that talented of a triathlete and she's in her sixties now. And so she's spending her energy, you know, bringing women into the sport, but she's just this super athlete and, um, and spirit. And yeah, so she, she's a nurse, but she's really interested in, you know, building her life and her vision around helping other women and, and kind of the same thing that you and I decided that we would do. And, and it is a decision. I know you're right. It is a decision. So how did you come to that decision? Oh gosh. Okay. So this is so awesome. Um, well let's, let's backtrack a little, let's go back in history. So let's, let me just tell you that tomorrow I turn 46. Yeah. February 17th. So this is going to air a couple weeks after, but, um, you know, birthdays are time for reflection, right? Yeah. I feel like I should release this tomorrow on your birthday though. (laughs) (laughs) Get it out there. You guys, I do accept random acts of kindness and lots of cake. Right. So bring it on. I eat cake for a month. I'm going to pick up the cake that I ordered for myself from Kim and Jake so I can eat it in the morning when I wake up. <laughs> so, uh, but you know, birthdays, they're fun to me. I don't, I love birthdays. I think they're awesome. And, um, but they do make you kind of reflect about your life because like new year's, there's sort of a turning point. Wow. Mm-hmm. What am I doing with my life? So uh, I'm, I'm what? I'm turning 46. So if we turn back the time a bit, um, when I was a senior in college, so 22, so this is 24 years ago, I wrote a uh, paper, my senior thesis, and it was called The Female Athlete and Oxymoron. And it's funny because my mom brought me a bunch of my old yearbooks and my papers (laughs) and she handed that to me a few years ago. And I was like, wow, this is really, really interesting because this is exactly what I'm doing today. You see, even back then when I was a college swimmer, you know, at a really high level, I understood the inherent conflict between being an athlete and being a woman. And I think we're making a lot of inroads over the past like five years. But I mean, a lot of things are still just like they are in the freaking paper I wrote almost 25 years ago. Wow. Um, And by being an oxymoron, the point was, you know, you looked at magazines and you looked at popular culture and what they were telling women that it meant to be feminine and to be a woman were things like um, graciousness and being skinny for sure and a perfect look, you know, with your makeup and, um, a little bit of kind of gentleness or submission. Right. Right. And then to be an athlete, here's what you needed. Power, aggression, muscles, uh, sometimes bigger size, you know, I mean, you needed traits that were totally different. And so when I started looking at this and decided I want to write about it for my paper and and survey my friends who were athletes and stuff, it was really interesting because women athletes ended up having more body image issues than a lot of other women. Really? It is. And you can understand it, though, when you think about it that way, especially back then and especially in sports where you wore a swimsuit or Mm -hmm. figure skating or gymnastics or diving where you're judged. By how you look. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So you got to be really strong and really awesome, but you got to be really skinny and really graceful. Like those things were were in conflict. So I guess I bring that up because, you know, it's really interesting to me that today I now have a business that helps women find happiness in their bodies. Right. Isn't that interesting? Well, and that's funny, like not to segue too far off, but I was in uh, weightlifting And it's kind of the same thing. I mean, the bigger you were in weightlifting as a female, you know, typically the more weight you could move. At the same time, you were trying to be competitive, and I would often have to drop weight, as in body weight, 
to compete in a lower weight class in order to qualify for things. And so <laughs> here I was trying to move heavier weight, knowing that I performed better at a certain weight, but having to cut weight. And then when I went and didn't perform well and didn't lift the weights, I was supposed, you know, it was this cycle. Right. And it was I mean, all you... around what I weighed and what kind of weight I moved. <laughs> oh, the weight. I mean, I just, it breaks my heart, the freaking scale. And it plagues me now. I mean, the, the freaking scale still plagues me. It does. And, and it's because of that. Yeah. You would have been a perfect, you know, I wish that we went to college together. A, we would have gotten in a lot of trouble. Like yes. way too much trouble for <laughs> some of our other for, issues. Yes. <laughs> But um, I would have interviewed you and, and you would have, you know, shown the exact thing that, that came out of this, that, you know, women were having a higher um, incidence of eating disorders. Um, they didn't love their bodies, like, and their bodies were amazing. I wish you I know, would have met like, you because I didn't know that. Like you were, you were thoughtful and intuitive enough at that time to realize that. I didn't realize that was going on. It was just yeah, like but, happening to me. Yeah, but it was also probably because I was also really insecure. And mm. I was like, Am, is everyone else as insecure as in me? <laughs> because I'm kind of obsessed with how, like, looking in front of the mirror and turning sideways and being like, well, when I woke up this morning, my stomach was flat. And now it's kind of fat, <laughs> like, you oh, know, no. throughout the day. And then after you drink all that beer and, I, you know, it's like, we're all just trying to find something that helps us feel comfortable in this world. And, uh, you know, it's funny to me because when you're young like that, yeah, maybe that was a little bit insightful, but it just kind of hung out in my subconscious for years until I really became, until I got older and more mature and dealt with some of my own issues that I could finally just look at myself and be like, oh my God, I'm so awesome. Like, yeah. I am happy with my body and I, and the scale, screw you scale. I'm not worried <laughs> about five pounds. Like I know I fluctuate, but that's life, you know? And I think it just, it takes, like, I wish we could accept ourselves when we're 18 years old like that, but I don't know why it just takes some time and years. And I don't know, we have to, we have to come to it in our own time and you can't force that stuff. Well, and I think the funny thing, too, is when you're in high school and in your 20s, I mean, arguably, that is the prime for your physicality, right? And for me, I spent so much wasted time with the body I had then. And then I kind of woke up in my 30s after I had kids and I thought, oh, my gosh, it's not going to get any better. <laughs> and I mean, I don't mean it's not going to get any better, but I wasted this perfectly great body in my teenage years, you know, complaining about it and trying to shrink it and do all these things to it. And I, I think part of that growing with age, you go, okay, I, I need to start appreciating this because I'm just getting older and I need to have some love or I'm really going to be a mess by the time I'm in my eighties. <laughs> well, you're absolutely right on. Like people would always say like, oh, you better appreciate what you have, you know, when you're 18 and you're like, screw you, you know, I'm living being me, doing my thing. But looking back, I'm like, God, I wish I would have appreciated it more. Yeah. Um, but that's just how it always is. You just, you got to go through man. it. But I will say that once you pop out a baby, like there's a whole level of bullshit that you just <laughs> decide is not tolerable anymore. Right. It's like, boom, I don't have time for that. I just, I don't have time for bullshit. You know, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> and and yeah, sometimes it'll creep in a little bit here and there. And sorry about the swearing. You might no, have to it's okay. That. I'm an explicit podcast. Swear away. <laughs> <laughs> Much to my mother's joy and pleasure and pride. Profanity. So included. proud of you, man. <laughs> <laughs> Profanity expected. Right. Um, but uh, you know, it's like we don't have time. And and a lot of that bullshit comes from our own heads. That's mm -hmm. where it that's where it is. And so when people are doing something and you're kind of annoyed or it's giving you that like uncomfortable feeling, well, guess what? Just change the way you look at it. But it's really hard to do when you're in it, right? Yeah. It's just crazy. I know. So back to the paper okay. and how that does not yeah. that I'm trying to guide you, but I want to find I don't want to make sure we don't lose track of how you decided to make a career out of empowering women. Well, you, you know, I didn't make a decision going in. Things just happened. And as they happened, I looked at each step and I kind of 
accepted, analyzed, and was always open to signs that maybe there might be a different path. And so along this way, it's been really fun. Actually, I graduated from college in 1994, and I knew, I you know, actually, I'll take you back a little bit. I um, I did my first what I would call soul searching. <laughs> Uh, sometime after college when I was starting to feel like really this sort of aimless <laughs> lack of purpose feeling because I didn't have anything that was giving me purpose. Like I was waking up and managing a pool or something, you know, mm-hmm. it wasn't like I was doing something that was feeding my soul. And I was starting to feel something that now I think would be described as like the early signs of a depression um, which I know you can relate to, but I, I'm not a, de- I'm not a person who suffers from depression and I really feel for people who do because it's a really difficult, um, way to live because yeah. like, you can't see it. Right. It's, it's just brutal. So I went, my mom was like, well, why don't you go see a social worker? Maybe she can give you some, some thoughts on how to get out of this, you know, this sort of funk, Right. That's what it was, a funk. Mm -hmm. And I went and I talked to her and she goes, well, Nicole, you know, this is like a normal thing that happens to people when they're kind of in between phases of life and they don't know what's next. And so maybe this little exercise will help you. I think you should go home and think about all the times in your life that you have felt the most alive and write them down on a piece of paper and just write And after a while, take a look at that list and see if there's a theme. See if something connects those times. Because in the end, that's what we're aiming for in our life, is to continue to create those moments and a path that makes you feel alive and amazing. And and when I did this little exercise, there was a theme. And it was that I felt my best, my happiest, my most alive when I was physically fit. It's really interesting. It wasn't at the times when I had like quit swimming for a year and and drank beer a lot and got, you know, gained the freshman 15 or whatever. It was at times when my body was fit and strong. Mm -hmm. You you get it. So I had this little mantra and it was like, when my body is fit and strong, my mind is fitter and stronger too. That's it. Simple. And you don't think, because I feel, I know the same feeling. I mean, when I when you were talking about that, I flashed back to several moments in my life. And you're right. It was not when, you know, I had a two-week-old baby and weighed 260 pounds. Like, that was not it. Even though, as far as life goes, that should be one of those times you're, like, most alive. You have this, you know, amazing child. and But, yeah, I mean, it was my thoughts are also connected to those moments when I – was fitter and stronger, but unfortunately for me, it's also when I'm thinnest and I, you know, and I don't necessarily think it has anything to do with fitter and stronger. So I've had to kind of change that way of thinking for me because like I recently started CrossFit over the last couple months and I'm doing the things that my body loves to do, which is lifting weights and moving it in a strong and powerful way. And I feel that light again. So it's ha- it's having to make those conscious decisions that I, like you said, you have a mantra, fit and strong. And I have to do that as well because if I think too hard about it, it goes to the thin side of things and then I'm right. on this rabbit hole, you know? Oh, absolutely. And so you're like maturity is going to kick in here, you know? It's yeah. like you're getting older and you have kids and you want them to see themselves in the most positive way. And that can be a guiding light too, because here's the deal. You're doing CrossFit, you're lifting weights. Your body is not going to get super thin from doing that, but it's going to get fit and strong and you're going to look amazing and you're going to have that glow and that clarity of mind. And that's what makes us alive. Yeah. So, so for me, I knew like at that moment I was like, okay, here's the deal. Whatever I do for the rest of my life, I have to make sure that I carve out the time for myself to keep my body physically fit. And it, the fitness will change like it already has, the sports, the you know, the way I work out. But if as long as I can include something that helps me maintain a fit body, then I know that I'll be happy. 
Isn't that interesting? Yeah. So now, this I was didn't, before your like major mm-hmm. wins. Oh yeah. So okay. I didn't know like I'd become a professional triathlete. Yeah. But um, but I did. So <laughs> so the next, you know, kind of the next chapter of my life, which was a good decade, was pursuing the sport of triathlon. And what I did is I lived, I grew up in the Midwest and I went to college at Yale in uh, New Haven, Connecticut. When I came home, I was like, I don't want to go anywhere east of here ever again. I'm going <laughs> to go west. <laughs> Remember, I thought I was a surfer girl. Right. So I decided to move to San Diego because that's where all the like Mark Allen and Greg Welch and Paula Newby Frazier and, you know, they all live down in San Diego. It was like the Mecca for triathlon. Now it's Boulder, Colorado, so come out and visit me here. <laughs> but um, so I move out there, and I'm just a young kid, and I wasn't good enough to be a pro. I was just sort of learning the sport and, you know, trying to find waitressing jobs or whatever. My parents were like, so we sent you to Yale. And- <laughs> I was going to ask you, what was that conversation like? I know, I know what it would awesome. have been like with my family. <laughs> You know, they were willing to give me some time to find myself. They were just, my parents are absolutely amazing. They have never been anything but 100% supportive of me in my whole life. I love them so much. It, it's so cool. That's awesome. Um, that's a whole nother. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do that one for Mother's Day. <laughs> Parental dynamics. Um, so, so here's the deal. My first year of racing, I was good enough to qualify for our world's team in my age group. So they took 12. I was 12th. So I was really lucky. I made the 20 to 24 age group. And worlds happened to be in Cancun, Mexico. So I called my parents and said, will you sponsor me to go to Cancun, Mexico? (laughs) Did you really ask them for a sponsorship? Basically. I mean, I was (laughs) like, I need money. I got to get here. I'm going on this trip. And they're like, all right, one last go around here. (laughs) We'll we'll put you up. So so this is what's really cool. When your mind and heart are open and you're exploring new things in life, you know, things present themselves to you. I truly believe that. Um, Yeah. It's just when you walk the world with a closed mind and a little more of a negative mindset, things do not appear. But those things are appearing. You are just not open to them. It's Uh. crazy. Yeah. Um, so I boarded a plane without my parents. I was on my own here. And uh, it was like a connecting flight from maybe Houston or something to Cancun. This is in 1995. And I'm sitting on the plane. And it happened to be the plane that like a ton of other Americans on the national team were were boarding. And so I'm just sitting there in my seat watching all these like gorgeous people walking on the plane, men and women. And I was like, oh my God, I totally picked the right sport. Man, (laughs) these people are freaking hot. And I was there to like race, but also party and play and have fun. And uh, so I see this guy. It's actually two guys that kind of looked similar, but one was way cuter. And I was like, that's the guy. He's going to sit next to me. And so I like to say that I did something I call willing it to happen, but I was like, he will sit by me. He will sit by me. And sure enough, he gets to my row and he, and it turns out his brother, look at their tickets and his brother goes to the other side and he sits right next to me. And, uh, I'm so excited. I can barely like contain myself. (laughs) (laughs) My cutest guy in the plane. He sat next to me. And finally I'm like, Hey, are you going to Cancun for the race? (laughs) Of course he is, but he's like, yeah, and he's kind of quiet. And I said, well, my name's Nicole. And he said, my name's Tim. And guess what? (laughs) I ended up marrying that boy. (laughs) I met my husband, Tim DeBoom, on an airplane in 1995 going to a race. Amazing. Because you said so. Yeah. I said, that's my boy. I'm taking him. (laughs) I willed it to happen, and we will not talk about what happened the last night of that trip. (laughs) No. (laughs) We will not. Because it is not an X-rated Right. It's not the podcast. Oh, I love it, though. But, you know, Meredith, the fun thing is when you, like, reminisce about this stuff, like, there were no cell phones. Like, he was writing down his address for me, and there was, like, a house phone where he was living. And, you know, I mean, he called me, and he was like, hey, I'm going to come out to San Diego to visit some sponsors. Maybe I could see you. And I was like, Yeah awesome. Come see me. So, <laughs> so where did he live? At he the time? was, 
He was living in Boulder. He's okay. from Iowa. Um, and he was living in Boulder, but he was down in Tucson for the winters because that's where they all trained. And so by they all, um, Tim was only 24 at the time, but he had just turned pro. It was his first pro year, and he had just been 10th place at the Hawaii Ironman a few weeks before Cancun. Wow. So he was like a phenom, uh, one of the last... A, he is the last American to win the Hawaii Ironman still. Um, he later did that, <laughs> which we can get into or not today. But um, he won the Hawaii Ironman in 2001 and 2002. And uh, he's just, he's one of the hardest working and most talented and um, amazing people. And I was lucky enough to uh, to have him sit by me and to have us fall in love and to have him take that trip to San Diego, where by the way, he never once visited a sponsor. And I was like, I wonder if, <laughs> was he really going to visit sponsors or what? <laughs> but uh, yeah, we fell in love. We got married one year later and we, oh, had, wow. our, we had our 21st anniversary last year. So Wait, so you got married like one year later from the getting on the plane? Yep. Oh, wow. Yeah. I moved in with him like a month later. It was just done. It was happening. It was on. Because <laughs> I said so. And we had no money and we had nothing. And we were, you know, digging into the bulk food when we'd walk down the aisles. And I mean, it was like that kind of life where you're like, uh, I don't know how we're going to get through this next month, but you just kind of do it. And we were both following our passions. Tim was, you know, an up and coming pro and not making any money yet because there's not a lot of money in triathlon. Um, and I was doing temp jobs and waiting tables and I became a swim coach, which was something I loved so much. Um, but yeah, we, we ended up pursuing this amazing triathlon life together. Traveled and so what happened with you? I mean, you, so, you know, so Tim, yeah. we talked about Tim, but you yeah. have your own amazing. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. So, so triathlon was my life and I really thought that maybe I could become a pro someday. So as I worked these other jobs and kind of supported us a little bit, tiny bit of stability on the side, and Tim rose up the rankings um, eventually one, one year. And I think this is actually a really cool lesson for people. Um, we decided it was time for me to turn pro. And it wasn't like, I mean, yeah, you have to be in a certain number of races where you place well enough to get your pro card. And I did that. But there's also an emotional and like psychological side of, are you ready? And I remember it was, um, I think 1997 or something. I think I turned pro in 98 and, uh, and I was maybe third in my age group at nationals. Like I didn't win the overall, I wasn't the best amateur, but Tim just said, I think you're ready. And I trusted mm -hmm. him implicitly, of course. And I, I said, well, do you really think I can do it? Like how, what will it be like? Will I be, I, I wasn't even winning. Like how could I know that I can race against the pros? And he said, you will just race better. And I was like, wait, what? Huh? I will. I can. Okay. I will race better. And like the, the way I guess I've maybe termed that is that it was, it was just do or die. It was time to level up. You either level up or you don't. Mm. I could keep racing as an age grouper and be great and have fun and have a long career, or I could level it up. And I did. I just leveled up. So the next year in my first pro race, I came in third and I won prize money and I paid for the race. Like I broke even, you know, and I was racing with these women that Makila Jones, she was first. Second mm. place was this woman named Becky Lavelle and then me. I mean, it was amazing. So I just, I was like, okay, I belong here. And there's something about this momentum and the confidence that comes with it when you just make that decision in your head that you will be better. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Yeah. Be better. <laughs> I will be better. <laughs> Are you, you a good it. mom? I don't know if I'm a good mom. We'll be a better mom. Just do it. Be better. Okay. I'm going to be better. You got to be better. Yeah. You wanna, if you want to take it to the next level. So that's really thought provoking actually, because it, you know, what that does is it meets you where you are and you just got to improve on where you are. 
no matter what sport or life or instance you're talking about. When you say do better, I mean, that that meets you where you are and ups the ante a little bit and, and expects greatness just right oh, where you are. I love that. Yeah. You know, and I hadn't thought about it that way either. I, I use that sometimes in business and other things. I do like surfing. I went <laughs> to surf the green waves. I didn't know if I could do it. You're going to do it. Be better. You can yeah. do it. I know you can do it. Well, I don't know if I can do it. Well, you're going to do it. just be better. Um, but you know, for me, I raced and had a blast and I, I was one of the most consistent racers in the world. I raced every distance. I was really good at Olympic distance racing without drafting because I was very strong on the bike. It took seven years for my run to get maximized. So people say like, Oh, I'm going to get, become a faster runner. Yeah. You'll get better and be better. But in that sport, I found that patience paid. And it was interesting. The more people I've talked to, they're like, seven years. Seven years seems to be the magic. Really? Seven years, just consistency and working on your form. And just, it takes a while to get it up to par, you know, where you can where you can be a threat in all three. I thought That's that was really interesting. interesting. That yeah. is really interesting. And I think there's so much to that just in life. I mean, we are so impatient. And like, I know when I look at my journey, just, you know, it's been eight years and it has taken me all of these eight years to get to where I am, which is still, I need another eight <laughs> to keep going. <laughs> well, but you should be, you should be a great runner by now. <laughs> I should be if I would stop breaking my body. I'm not meant to. I'm not meant to move forward. I'm meant to lift things up. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm not built that way. But yeah, I mean, we think things happen so quickly because for some people it does. But and those are the ones I I feel like we see. You know, it's not the ones that are like I talked to James Lawrence, the Iron Cowboy, who did 50 Ironmans, 50 Days in 50 States. And one of the things that he said that stuck with me was no one cares about the 10 years it took me to get to the 50, 50, 50 Mm. and the hard work and years that it took to get me to that spot. And, And that's the thing. Like you you spent those seven years and that was when you had your your big break, right? Your your big win. Absolutely. Yes. Well, yeah. And you know, maybe we should segue into, you know, the next chapter because I'm not saying, you know, along the way, when you have these really big ups, you have really big downs too. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is the nature of life, right? It's like a wave. Hello. Um, (laughs) Everything is surf related this week. (laughs) Suddenly I'm only a surf mentality. Right. Um, But my, you know, when, when Tim's at the very top of his game, you know, you can't stay at the top forever. And so part of you is celebrating being the champion of the world and knowing that someday you won't. What's that going to look like? I mean, Mm. that's hard, right? But Yet you, for me, I, I actually spent a lot of time being a supporter of Tim in his career and I still am a supporter of Tim, but I wasn't for a while. You know, I got, I got pissed, you know, I I wanted, I finally realized one day that I needed something more for me. And so I think my mind was always open to the next thing. Like I saw what it took to be the Ironman world champion and to live with someone who's the Ironman world champion. And I knew that I would not become the Ironman world champion. I knew that I could be a great triathlete and make money. I was in the money in every race I ever did until my very last race when I just was like, I'm done. I'm moving (laughs) on. I got this other thing. But like I knew I wasn't going to hit that level. And so I, why do you say that? that? Do you know, do you, did you know you didn't want it? Like you didn't want, you saw what it took and you didn't want it or, or why, why do you say that? Uh, two things. I, I didn't want to sacrifice to the level that Tim did. Mm -hmm. I didn't think I had that in me. And because of that, I didn't think I had the, maybe the talent, Mm. you know? So maybe if I was willing to sacrifice more and go through some of these rigorous programs, then I would have embraced the talent I have and, you know, moved it forward in a different way. But so it kind of worked side by side. I think that's a really good self-awareness. I mean, 
because so many of us will sign up for these, you know, massive goals, massive events. And that is a big and very real question to ask. Do I have it in me to make this happen? And it's okay to say no. Well, absolutely. And the question is, do you have that level of sacrifice in you for anything in your life? And so some people I've seen that level of sacrifice come out as in, in their parenting. Mm -hmm. I've seen it come out in their passions or in their careers. I knew I had that level of sacrifice in me because I actually felt it stirring as a swim coach. I knew that there was more for me to give. And I think I was realizing that it was to help people find happiness. And it wasn't about pushing myself to my physical limits. That wasn't where my best gifts to the world were going to come out. It was somewhere else. So I was just open. Like I was on the airplane that day. I was sort of open in my mind to the what could be in the world. What could be? What could be next? And for me, I my next chapter started with what I call an epiphany run. (laughs) So I think I believe that all my best ideas come when I'm working out. I don't know if you can relate or anybody else listening, but all my best ideas are when I'm working out and I think it's because I must go into some kind of meditative state. This is the funny part where my mind, and and for me, it's, I have the 20 minute rule. It always happens 20 minutes in. I'm 20 minutes into a workout. So 20 minutes I spend like battling all the things going on in my head, my to-do list, like we got to pick up the laundry, you know, whatever it is. And then all of a sudden I realize I haven't been thinking about anything. And it's like 20 minutes in. My mind hmm. clears. It's like my mind just goes. Whoosh, whoosh. You know, when I come up with my best ideas is when I'm in the dentist chair and I have um, the nitrous. Oh, <laughs> drug induced. I, I tell the hygienist every time. I'm like, look, if I say something, like write it down because it's an idea and it's great. And so Every time I can remember I'm in the the chair and I get nitrous every time I get cleaning because I have massive dental anxiety and I know that I'm having all these great ideas. And then when I get, you know, the oxygen, they're gone. (laughs) Oh my gosh. This is a whole nother podcast. You no, you need to turn your recorder on your phone on and say those things out loud. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) <laughs> oh, you so do. And then you need to do a podcast where you like air it. That would be hilarious. <laughs> so Okay, back to you. Meditative yeah, running. <laughs> yeah, so I'm out there one day. It was December of 2003, and I'll never forget it. I, I was living in Lyons, which is just outside of Boulder. And it's this little mountain town. And I was, um, at that point in my life, still drinking alcohol. And kind of, we believed in a real off-season. So you would put a few pounds on, and you just felt kind of sluggish in the off-season. It's like a way for your body to heal, right? Mm-hmm. But I went out and I was slogging along this run. And as I ran down the main street, there was this soda fountain. It's called the Lion's Soda Fountain. It's these big, huge storefront windows, like picture windows. And I looked in the windows, which I always checked myself out because I had this whole body image thing, right? Mm-hmm. And I looked at myself and I was like, oh my God, A, I look like a boy. Um, I am totally uninspired and why can't I just feel pretty out here? It was like, boom, 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 those three thoughts. And I was wearing all men's black clothing that didn't fit my body, clearly designed by men, not for women. And it just wasn't, I was so uninspired. And the word pretty became so important to me on that run and in that moment that I ran home and started scribbling it down on a piece of paper, which I still have. It's really cool. It's just a big word, pretty. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like when I talk about it now, I finally accept it. But for a while, I was sort of embarrassed to say, like, I wanted to look pretty because mm-hmm. it felt vain and all those other things. So, I came home, I scribbled it all down, and I was like, oh my God, I just wrote pretty. And then I wrote women's activewear that you look and feel good wearing. And underneath that, I wrote, I want to do what the Williams sisters are doing, like (laughs) bringing sexy into their sport. And what I saw happening when they did that was this word confidence was happening. Mm. And I thought, could I do it? Could I start a clothing company? And, you know, it just, it took a, a little while. Like ideas are these precious little things that they're really scary to put out there in the world because you're just afraid of like, A, 
if it happens, it's scary that it might happen. Like this is a new path and be, um, you know, are people going to laugh at me or, you know, how could anyone believe I could do this? And it's just sort of step by step. I just, I talked to Tim and I said, Tim, I got obsessed with this idea and I think I might want to start a clothing company. And he's like, okay, (laughs) so how would you do that? And I just, kind of looked at him and I was like, well, you're wearing clothing and I'm wearing clothing and I see a lot of other people out here wearing clothing. So I guess people have figured out how to start a clothing company before. <laughs> so I'm going to figure it out. Um, and that was it. Like I literally went one step at a time. Like sometimes I call it the aid station approach to business. I'm like, okay, mile one, what do I have to do? I know there's like a finish line somewhere. Right. But I got to get through like miles one, two, three. I got to make sure I'm on the right path. And like I mentioned at the beginning, I was always open to if a door was closing and it didn't feel right, maybe I would stop. Mm-hmm. But every step I took, doors were swinging open. It was like amazing. Okay. This is happening. And the really cool thing is I did not quit my day job, which was racing as a pro while I was working on this idea. And so it was like fueling me with adrenaline because my mind was being stretched. Right. You know, with every step I was learning about fabric and meeting with a factory and learning about different stitch types and trims and how things fit and what grading is, you know, on a different sizes. And I mean, it was so cool. It was this whole new world. And I thought, you know, of this idea of this whole line of women's activewear, maybe, maybe Tim had actually said every great designer starts with one thing. Like Ralph Lauren started with a tie. Why don't you think about one item that really epitomizes this idea of feminine athlete? Oh, so now we're all the way back to my thesis. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's all a circle, I, one giant totally. wave. And that's maybe unique in some way. And I looked at my little sketches and I had made a skirt for running and this had never been done before. I was kind of using the Williams sisters in tennis as like inspiration. I thought, what if I make a running skirt? So that became the centerpiece of this concept for a feminine line of women's active clothing. And what I did in 2004 is I got to the point of making prototypes and we had a custom little prototype made prototypes for anyone listening. And you know this cause you're in clothing, but it's like a one, it, you know, you have an idea and you have sketches. And then when you're more sophisticated, you have a whole pack of the information a factory might need to build a prototype. But back then it was like, here's a sketch. Can you turn it into something <laughs> like a napkin sketch? Right. And uh, I had this little red skirt made just for me for this Ironman that I was had kind of just decided on a whim I wanted to do the Ironman Wisconsin in 2004. And so made that little skirt for me. And the really like beautiful magic is that, you know, I'm doing the race. I'm out in front on the swim. I think I came out first and I came off the bike in third place. And I remember getting into the transition and thinking, I have a shot. I might win this race if I'm strong and steady and, and stay to my plan. And I dumped out all my stuff and I put on my shoes and my visor and my glasses and everything. And the last thing I was looking at that I still wasn't sure if I was going to put on, I said, I'd decide in the moment was that little skirt. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because it was like a loincloth. It was like (laughs) two pieces of fabric and you will laugh. Like if you ever come to our store in Boulder, Colorado, you'll see it in a little frame on the wall. Oh, you still have it. Oh yeah. It's just, and it has this tiny little sign that says first skirt, but, um, I put it on, I snapped it on. I'm like, well, guess what? At least I'm going to have my butt covered and I'm going to feel cute. And I don't care what anyone thinks. And I took off on that run and by about the 20 mile mark, I had passed all the women and I ended up winning my one and only Ironman of my career, wearing a prototype of this idea that was so close and embedded already in my heart. I crossed the line and I was like, oh my God, I'm going to do it. This is it. I'm and now starting. there's a photo with me wearing it. Yes, marketing <laughs> you, gold. <laughs> you cannot write a better script. Right. <laughs> so that is, you know, that's the start of Skirt Sports. Three days later, I incorporated Skirt Sports Inc. 
And in uh, February of 2005, I brought 500 skirts to an expo, a marathon expo, and recruited some friends. And we did a photo shoot and we wore them in the race and all these people bought them. And they were like, I don't know what that is, but I got to have me some of that. <laughs> and they like wore it in the race and they weren't that great constructed yet. And they were, I could see sweat lines all down their cracks, but no one cared. Mm-hmm. They were like, I'm part of something. I could tell they just, they felt the energy and they were like, something is happening here. Like I'm feeling different as a woman wearing this product in a marathon. Yeah. And that's exactly what it became. It started as me wanting to look cute and pretty. And it became this sort of spiritual movement of women who are trying to find happiness in their life and their connection to their clothing and how it helps their body feel is such a huge part of that. And I just feel so grateful that I stuck with it. You know, we did it. Yeah. We kept going. We're still here. It's a long time. <laughs> I did not think I would still be doing this 13 years later. It's a hard industry. It is definitely hard. I mean, there have been the way people shop has changed astronomically. We used to be sold in like 500 stores all over the country and some different international distributors. And, you know, like it's all different now. We've yeah. had to change our model. We, you know, I wouldn't say we almost went out of business doing it, but, you know, it was dicey for a little while. A lot of brands went out of business. Because they weren't willing to change. Yeah, or they tried to change, but they were too entrenched in the other way. I mean, I think Icebreaker, didn't Icebreaker or Ibex, one of those guys just went out of business, or $100 million brand. They couldn't make the transition to become a direct brand, and that's mm-hmm. what you have to be these days. Yeah, it's really hard. I mean, I've been, I've actually been sued twice by in business and had to deal with that stuff. I've had my products um, kind of held hostage in Taiwan and had to do an overnight trip and find my way into the factory and negotiate. To, I mean, crazy stuff happened and it happens all the time still. You know, there's, we are actually landlords and one of our previous, because we, we, this is funny, we signed a five-year lease and then the next year we were like, I don't think we should, we need to change our business model. So then they wouldn't let us out of our lease. So we had to sublet. So we've got like these subletters, right? (laughs) And one of them got arrested and went to jail and we had to do an auction on his business like, oh you don't know you're going to be faced with this kind of crap <laughs> when you start a women's clothing line. You're like, you I just wanted skirts print. for running. Right. Why am I a landlord? <laughs> and, but, you know, I think being an athlete and having this kind of, I don't know, having gone through what you go through in an Ironman event, it teaches you a lot of things about how to approach and how to be resilient and how to get through the stuff when it really hurts. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Yep. Okay, there so it since it's your birthday tomorrow, you should give us a discount for skirt sports. <laughs> yes. I love giving birthday gifts on my birthday. Let's do it. I was thinking that maybe we should do, let's do a 15%, which is pretty cool because yeah. we just got all of our new spring products in and they are so awesome. You're going to love them. Okay. All right, let's make our discount. How about same 24 skirt? (laughs) I like it. I like it. Okay, and that's at skirtsports.com. Yeah. Very cool. Good through. We'll figure that out. I'll post that on the show notes or whatever. Cool. I love it. Well, let's do one more question for you, Nicole. I think you know what it probably is. Um, This podcast called the same 24 hours because we all have the same 24 hours, but it's what we do in those 24 hours that makes us happier, healthier, more successful, the best version of ourselves. So what is something that you do in your 24 hours on a daily basis that makes you tick, that makes you happier, more healthy? I smile. (laughs) I think I believe in the power of positivity And I believe that the science behind living a more positive life, a more optimistic life is real. I believe that when you're open, which is what happens when you're optimistic and positive, when you're open, life is better. And what I believe is one of the triggers that can get you there 
is the physical act of smiling. And so I smile. I smile when things suck. Maybe that annoys some people. Um, I smile out of pure joy. I smile sometimes when I'm crying. Like smiling changes your physiology in your body. It literally has, there are studies behind this, but it has a more powerful effect than eating chocolate. The mere act of smiling, and that is something everyone can do. And you know, your body doesn't know if it's a fake smile or a real smile. And there are two kinds of smiles, fake smiles and real smiles. Right. You can fake your body out. What do you think I did during the mile 20 in that Ironman when I was freaking struggling and I knew I needed to stay ahead of everyone? I freaking fake smiled my way to the finish (laughs) because at some point it becomes real. Right. And The other final thought on that is that smiling is contagious. If someone is sitting there smiling at you, it will be very hard for you to not smile back. And when you smile back, I mean, it just, it's a ripple effect. Everyone around you feels it. So that's what I do. I smile. And that's, that's really my advice. True. It's really true because my son, he's he's so um, he likes to pout, and he's he and I are very or kind of curmudgeony. And the way that he gets me out of a funk, or I get him out of a funk, is we just sit there and smile at each other until the other one cracks. And it's so true. <laughs> See, it's, yeah. everyone has their tricks, and <laughs> I truly, I do truly believe in the power of smiling to help you live a more positive and optimistic life. So if you're listening right now and you're like, Oh my God, that woman is so annoying. Just put on a fake smile. And I swear to you, someone around you is going to see it and you're going to change the energy of their day. That's right. Well, Nicole, I love you. (laughs) I always enjoy talking to you and thanks for the discount code. We'll post that up and happy birthday friend. Thank you, Meredith. You know, you'll be coming up on this big old birthday sometime soon, too. (laughs) Let's make 46 a good one. Yeah. (laughs) We'll we'll talk soon, lady. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 